Easter Sunday, let's get back, Easter Sunday. Um, it's an interesting thing, Easter Sunday, right? Like the message, it's, it's, like, it's not like you don't know what I'm going to talk about. You know, we know you're going to, well, I'm going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, it's, and if, you, if you're one of those people that, that come during Easter time and Christmas, you're probably thinking, that's probably why I don't really come during the year, because I, I, well, I hear the same message over and over. I hear a story about his birth and resurrection. So actually, because this is all you hear. Um, but however, I think Easter Sunday is the best time for you to come to church. Um, it's the best time for you to come and hear the message. Because uh, if you've had any, because Easter Sunday really does answer any objection that you may have. It really does answer all your objections. Um, one of the reasons we might not want to come to church is maybe, maybe you, it's because you know some. Because you know some, that's why you don't want to come to church. So I really want you to consider maybe this, this Easter, this is your Easter where you're connected with God for the first time. Or maybe this is, this is the Sunday where you're going to reconnect with God for the, uh, that, that you, had been, you had a relationship with God for whatever reason. You've kind of gone away from Maybe you got hurt in church. Maybe somebody said something to you, you didn't like it, and you say, oh, I don't want to go back to church anymore. Maybe you had, um, you're praying for your, 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 your mom, she's a Christian, um, she's, she had some illness, so she prayed, you prayed, you prayed, she died, and you, and you said to yourself, well, you know what, God, if you're too busy to heal my mom, then oh, why would I even bother? So uh, Easter really is the best time for you to reconsider, or to consider getting to, get connecting, connected to this amazing, um, amazing person called Jesus Christ. And, and the reason for that is what we celebrate during Easter. It really is. Because you've got to understand the foundation of Christianity is not Christians. The, our foundation aren't Christians. The foundation of Christianity is not even, not even our behaviors, like the, how we behave in any way. That's not the foundation. The foundation of Christianity is not answered prayer. Answered prayer is not the foundation of Christianity. In fact, it's not even getting all your questions answered answered, right? Like how many have so many, I've got all these questions. If I, if I get all my questions answered, then I may consider it. In fact, that's not the foundation of Christianity. The foundation of Christianity is what we celebrate at Easter. That is, our, that is the foundation. That is why we do what we do, why we believe it. But, it's, but one of history's great mystery is the church itself. I mean, do, do you know that, that around the world, there's Christians believe Jesus followers waking up all around the world, all over the globe. They're coming together um, in, in groups kind of like this, singing similar songs, and, and they're, for one reason, lifting up the name of Jesus. In fact, um, over one-third of the pop world population are coming together in the name of Jesus. And that kind of blows my mind when you think about it. Millions upon millions upon millions of people are coming together. And when we think about who Jesus is, Think about what he actually did. Jesus, Jesus was a Jewish carpenter. So we're coming together to celebrate a Jewish carpenter who really, his, who really made, was made public for three years. He had a three-year public ministry, then he was gone. And for whatever reason, because of these three years, he, he didn't write any books, he didn't he didn't, he didn't um, do any um, voice recordings or anything like that. It was, um, there, there was nothing, in fact... The, the movement of the church today, it just doesn't make sense. Why do, we, why do millions upon millions of, of believers still come together today? It just doesn't make sense, except for what we celebrate at Easter. That's the only thing that makes sense. And when you think about it, when we think, when we think about King Herod, King Herod uh, was known, was, a, was known, he was an ancient king, and he was known as the great builder. In fact, they called him 
Herod the Builder. Did you know that? He was known as the Great Builder. In fact, he was one of, he's one of history's great builders. Okay, can you tell me what he built? Can anybody tell me what he built? Or what about Caesar Augustus? We all heard of Caesar Augustus. Um, do you know what he was famous for? What Caesar Augustus was famous for? Caesar Augustus was the very first Roman emperor. And he, poured, he brought about what's called, what was known as Pax Romana, which means, which means the Roman peace. He brought that into where there was peace for 300 years. That's what Caesar Augustus, that's what he did. He, was just, he had all these great victories. Um, when you look at the history uh, and what Caesar Augustus did. In fact, most of us here would have no idea what Caesar Augustus did. But we've all heard of Caesar Augustus. In fact, what's interesting is the only reason why you know King Herod, and the only reason why we know of Caesar Augustus, is because they're just a footnote in the birth of a little Jewish baby. A footnote. That's all they are. A footnote in the birth of a little Jewish baby. All, all the fame that they've done, all that they were known for, that's all there. And it just kind of blows my mind. When it, comes to, when it comes to movements, when it comes to religions, when it comes to starting a religion or starting a movement, there's a science to it. There's, in fact, there are people who, who study this, who study the science of starting a movement or starting a, um, a religion. So if you want to start a religion, or if you want to start a movement of some kind, you just listen to the science of this. And, and, and the way these movements, the way these religions begin, it normally starts with a bit of this unrest in a city or this unrest in a nation where, where, um, where there's so much of an unrest, factions begin to happen and there's division. Division is, is going on. And then what happens is as a charismatic leader will, will turn up, and usually the charismatic leader is a guy, okay? I'm just saying, that's what history shows us. He turns up, and this charismatic leader, he crafts together these amazing statements, these am- amazing phrases, and he begins to proclaim it, and he begins to speak it, and people, people on, the, on, the, on the populace, they're hearing these things, and they go, yeah, that's right, I agree with it. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. That's exactly what I'm feeling. And all of a sudden, um, there's a movement begins, and, 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 there's, and, and something begins to happen within the city or in this nation. And, but there's this old guard. The old guard, they're holding to their ways. This is the way things were. This is how we do things. Uh, uh, you know what? You just got to fall in line for what we're doing. But, but, what, but the movement begins to build and build and build. And eventually the old guard, uh, the old guard bows down to, to what's coming because the, because the majority of the people are going, you just can't hold their back. And they usher in a new era, a new teaching, a new vision, new ways. And, and all of a sudden you've got a movement that begins. Now what happens is that then this person dies. This, this charismatic leader dies, and, and their, their followers, their believers, they say, you know what? We've got to keep this teaching. We've got to keep these teachings alive. We've got to te- keep these sayings. We've got, let's keep this thing going. And it happens, and it, and it builds and builds and builds and builds. And, and so that's kind of the science of, of how movements begin or science of how religions begin. And like we, everybody here in this room, we all heard of Islam, right? We, we know the prophet Muhammad. Um, so the so, so the, and so we, when we apply those principles to, to Islam, it fits, it works. So we've got, we've got this young man, uh, about 600 AD, this young man goes into a cave, and uh, he comes out of the cave, and he claims that angels have spoken to him about this new revelation of living. And, and what, what Muhammad does, and he later becomes the prophet Muhammad, does he, he unites all the Arab tribes, there's all these pockets of Arab tribes, and he unites them with, with these words, these new revelations, these, these new phrasing. In, in, this, in this society, the Arab society, they, they, they're, they're polytheists, okay? They, they believe in many, many gods. And he, and, and he brings all these, 
these pockets of Arab tribes and he brings them together and he, and he brings them unto, uh, to, and makes them uh, monotheists, meaning that they believe in one God. Uh, and, and he raises, and all of a sudden he's got all these believers. Now he's got an army. Not only does is is the prophet Muhammad have these great these new revelations, but he's a, he's, a, he's a war tactician. In fact, he's a great general. And in fact, Muhammad is one of the greatest war generals um, that, is, that, 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 that have ever, ever been, um, been known. So he was a great tactician. And, he, and all of a sudden, um, Islam is born. Now, Muhammad, he dies about 633 um, AD, exactly 600 years after Jesus was crucified. He dies on natural causes. Um, so, so you, you, in fact, yeah, and, and his followers, his believers, that they're like, you know what? We've got to keep what Muhammad said, his sayings, we've got to keep this thing alive. Um, and there was, the, well, there, was, there was a bit of, at, at, at first, there was a bit of, um, you know, you should get one of his sons, should take over as a prophet. And then in this other group, no, 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 should be a political leader. Well, anyway, um, Islam, the ideas of Muhammad continues, and they, and they begin to teach it and teach the ways of Muhammad um, so much so. Now Islam is a worldwide religion. Okay, so we understand you put those principles in there, and it happens. And, and we think in terms of modern-day modern day movements that have begun, we think of the civil rights movement um, in the United States back with Dr. Martin Luther King. Doc, Dr. Martin Luther King lived in Boston, lived in the, in the upper North, uh, North Island, uh, North America. And, and because of the, the civil injustice that was happening in the South uh, of America, he, he, couldn't just, he couldn't stand by and stay in, in this cushy job. He was, a, he was an educator. He was a pastor. And he leaves the comfort of, of the North and goes to Alabama right in the hot seat of segregation. In fact, Alabama was the most segregated state in America. And he goes in there and he, and he crafts together these statements and these phrases and these words. And, and, and people start gathering, yeah, that's exactly what we're thinking. That's exactly what we believe. Um, and then he, he the, what Dr. Martin Luther King, he takes an old idea and he makes it new again. And, and the idea is, this, is that this is going this is, this is to be a movement of peace. A movement of peace. We're going to march. This is going to be peaceful. And, and, he, and, and he brings in this, ushers in this, this new movement. Um, and, but unfortunately, in 1968, he's, he dies violently. He gets, he gets murdered. He gets killed. But his followers, his believers, they say, you know what? Let's carry on this. What Dr. Martin Luther King did, let's take on his, uh, his beliefs. And they're saying, let's continue on the charge. And, and of course, civil rights came through. And, there was, uh, and, it, and it, broke, it finally broke through. The old guard... Uh, finally um, knelt down and, and, and ushered in a, a new era in America. And we saw America had its very first black president. Uh, how many years ago? Now they've got an orange. I'm oh, sorry, just carry on. Uh, so, but that's, that's how these movements begin. And we can understand it. And, it, and it's, there's a science to it. And, 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 and uh, that's how they form. But when you, when you take this science and you apply it to Christianity... You know, uh, in fact, no notable historian w- would say that you can apply this to Christianity because it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and the reason why it doesn't make sense, the reason why it doesn't make sense is because of Jesus' message. Because of Jesus' message is why you can't apply that to this. It just doesn't make sense. And, and, and what was phenomenal about Jesus' message is that Jesus was at the center of the message this is what sets Jesus apart to everybody else. It's what sets Jesus apart to Muhammad, for any other group that came out. This is where Jesus, he came along and said, he's the center of his message. And that's a problem. That's a problem when you're trying to apply this um, to, to this formula. And, and when you try to apply, apply it to this formula, it just doesn't make sense. And you scratch your head and say, how on earth did this, this movement called 
Christianity or this thing called Ecclesia, this church, how does, how does this thing, ex- why does this thing actually still exist? Because it, it just doesn't make sense. And the, and, and the only answer to that is, is what we celebrate at Easter. That's the only answer. And so when you think about Jesus, um, when Jesus turned up, he didn't turn up and he didn't try to bring some revolutionary ideas. He didn't try to overthrow the government. He wasn't a revolutionary. And, uh, he, he didn't come and, tr- and try to upset the, the card of the, of the religious order of that time. He, he didn't come to overthrow any of that. In fact, um, some people try to pit Jesus against Rome. They try to pit him against them. And, and so, but he, Jesus says stuff like this. He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And, and he goes, but, and give to God what belongs to God. And he'll go on and think, oh, well, Jesus, aren't you trying to bring in a new kingdom? Isn't your new kingdom going against Caesar? Isn't your new kingdom going against the Roman Empire? And, and, but Jesus, he, his reply was like, look, my kingdom, my kingdom is not even of this earth. It's not even of, so you don't have to worry, Pilate. You don't have to worry. My kingdom's not even of this earth. You don't have to worry, Caesar Augustus you know, or, or, or Rome. Like, my, my kingdom's not even on this earth. In fact, Pilate, Pilate when, when they brought Jesus before him, Pilate, he, he questioned him. He had no, there was no charges he could say against him. He, he was saying, I find no charges I can say against the Jesus. He's no revolutionary. He's not trying to overthrow anything. You know, there's nothing I can really convict him of. Really, his, his whole thing is that it's about him? Really? I can't, how can we sentence this guy? See, Jesus' message was the problem. In fact, Jesus didn't come to upset the, the religious order. Jesus, in fact, they come and say, oh, look, Jesus, you're coming, trying to come against our Jewish tradition. Jesus, was, he would say, look, you know what? You, you know, you should do what the law says. But in fact, I do what the law says. In fact, you should do what it says because the law comes from God. And if it comes from God, that means it's good. See, Jesus didn't just, um, didn't, didn't just do the law, but he raised the standard to the law. He raised the standard. He didn't come to, over, uh, to come against Jewish traditions or anything like that. He said, you should keep your Jewish tradition. Keep those things. All those things come from God, and those things are good. And so, Jesus, so it was kind of like hard, like, how, how, Jesus, so how, how are you supposed to get these, this movement going? In fact, all his phrases and all these, all these great statements that he had, he was at the center of each one of them. He was at the center of them, and it was phenomenal. In fact, um, uh, Jesus will be sitting with his, um, with his disciples, and they were in Caesar, uh, Caesar, um, and Caesar Galleria, Caesar, yeah, anyway, in Philippi, <laughs> Caesarea in Philippi. And, and, his, and, uh, and he said to his disciples, oh, tell me what people say I am, or who do they think I am? And, in fact, no, no, you, you tell me who you think I am. And then Peter says this, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. See, Jesus didn't say to Peter, whoa, whoa, hold your horses. Go, calm that down. Calm that down, Peter. No, he doesn't say that. This is what Jesus says. He said, he said you're right, Peter. In fact, what this revelation you have, it didn't come from you, but it came from God. It came from God. Uh, in fact, in fact um, Jesus said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. You see this uh, on more than one, uh, one occasion. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. That's who I am. I am. Um, when he got baptized, you know, uh, John the Baptist was in the river and he saw Jesus coming. John the Baptist didn't say, look, here comes the one who's going to explain to us about, about the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist didn't say that. John Baptist, this is what John the Baptist said. He goes, here comes the lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. 
See, Jesus was the center of his message. He is the center of his message. He was with his disciples, and his disciples were, were asking him all these questions. They're like, you know, Jesus, you're talking about the Father. You're talking about coming. You're talking about going. Could, could you just show us what the Father is or what the Father is like? Could you just show us? And so and Jesus, what Jesus didn't do, he didn't give a, a word picture of what the Father is like. This is what Jesus did. He said, he said that those who have seen me have seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? You, it's me. Look at me. Because if you see me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was the center of his message, and that's the problem. That's the problem with, with this whole, whole uh, formula for starting a movement. Because here's the thing. When Jesus died, the movement died with him. When Jesus was crucified, when he hung on that cross, the movement died with them. See, because the, the, they couldn't take his phrases. Go, you know what? There was no Christians at the cross saying, you know what? Well, let's take what Jesus taught and let's just carry it on. Let's carry on this movement. They, they couldn't because everything that Jesus said was about him. They couldn't. None of these phrases or statements made sense without Jesus. None of them made sense and they couldn't take something. In fact, there was no Christians at the cross. No Christians at the cross. I had an interesting conversation with someone up during the first service about that, and, that, and I'll, I'll get back to that. There was no Christians at the cross. There was no one there. Where were they? They were hiding. Hiding in some back room over here. They were hiding. Why were they hiding? Because as far as Jesus' disciples were concerned, it was over. It was done. Jesus is dead. They hung all their hopes on Jesus, and he's dead. The movement is gone. What they believed in was gone. It was over. It was all over, Rover. That's what they were thinking. And, and so they're hiding in this room. Like, you think about the, the writers of the gospel. Of the, if you're writing a, fic, uh, a fictionist, is that the word I really use? Fictitious story, um, and you wanted to write yourself into the story, would you write yourself in as the coward? Would you write yourself in as the coward, or would you write yourself in as the hero? So, you know, I, I know what well, I would write in some big, strong guy with a sword, you know, you know, in the middle of a gun battle. <laughs> so, laser sword, laser sword. Anyway, um, uh, who's, who's ever read the book, The Hobbit? When I was 12 years old, I bought that book. In fact, okay, someone bought the book for me. <laughs> and the only reason why I wanted that book, it had a picture of a dragon on the front cover. So I go, oh, dragon, cool, cool. And I open it up and I realize this got no pictures in this book. <laughs> But as I said, you know what, I'm going to persevere, I'm going to read this book. And as I read the book, I realized the heroes were little, with big feet, big hairy feet. And, I, and you know what, and I closed the book and said, I ain't reading this book. Because I don't, I don't, for me, my hero isn't no little guy with big hairy feet. He's a big strong guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, that's my idea of a hero. My hero is no, no weak guy. So when you're thinking, when you're writing yourself in a story, you don't write yourself as a coward. However, the New Testament our writers write themselves in as a cowards, hiding, afraid. In fact, when Jesus was being led away to be crucified, Peter, the one who said to, to Jesus that, that you are the Messiah, the Christ, you are the Son of God, he was, he was in the garden when Jesus was being, was being uh, spoken to. And someone came up to him and said, some little girl came up to him and said, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Weren't you with him? Peter didn't say, Yes, I am. In fact, he is the Messiah, the Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That's who he is. Peter didn't say that. Peter said, look, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know that guy. 
I, 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 don't know, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know. Who, because up until that point, Peter no longer believed. Peter no longer believed. He became a coward and he, and he ran. Bible tells us he ran crying, weeping bitterly. So when, you're thinking, when we think about this, how on earth did the church survive? Why are we here? It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit how all religion started. It doesn't fit how all movements began. Why are we here? Except for what we celebrate at Easter. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20, verse 1 to 2. I love this because John, one of the disciples of Jesus, he writes, and he writes about the first ones to discover the empty tomb were women. What's interesting about that is that women had no rights. In fact, they had no authority. In fact, women, their testimony um, didn't, didn't float in, in, in the law, in, in the house of law. It didn't float in the courthouse. If, somebody, if something happened and they said, oh, look, we got an eyewitness, it's a woman. Oh, well, doesn't matter what she said. We can't believe that. How can we believe a woman? But yet, Yet, John writes woman into the story. That's a problem. That's a massive problem. Are you, you going to validate the story? You can't have woman discovering the empty tomb. That's a problem. Because it, it, it just makes this invalid. Do you know why the New Testament writers write woman into the story? Do you know why they wrote that woman or the first one to discover an empty tomb? you know why they wrote it? It's because woman were the first one to discover an empty tomb. I know, it's deep. It actually happened. That's the only reason. That's the only plausible reason I could write it in there because it was an historical fact. But if you're going to make this up, if you're going to make this up, you ain't going to write woman in there because that doesn't make sense because you can't trust the words of woman. But, but because it actually happened, it was recorded. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. I love this because Jesus, when he was crucified and he died, and two of his disciples hurriedly took him down and they put him in a tomb. And they didn't quite prepare his body right. And women, all women know that when men, when men do something, they don't normally do it right. So they have to come and fix it up. So the woman on the way to fix it up, to, they want to properly prepare his body and they're trying to think to themselves, how are we going to move the, the stone? How are we going to move it away? How can we protect? And so, and here we are. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the, one, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This is John talking of himself. See, he wrote himself in the story like this. I'm the one that Jesus loved. So he kind of wrote himself as the hero. <laughs> she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. See, when John wrote this, he was the last disciple alive. Okay, so they figured, oh, Peter can't say anything. <laughs> and this is what she says. I love what she says. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. This is, this is important. Because she didn't say to the disciples, he has risen. He has risen. Jesus is alive. 
He has risen. He has done what he said he was going to do. He's done it. He's risen. She didn't say that because she didn't believe. Or she thought that someone stole him. Someone must have stolen his body. The disciples, I love this, because this is a woman telling them. Remember, it's a woman. How can we trust the words of a woman? This is what they thought. Let's go to, okay, Luke 24, 11. This is what the disciples thought. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Can you get an amen? I just want to see how many um, God-fearing men were. <laughs> Woman-fearing men. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, that's true. See, like nonsense. They're like, oh, no wonder no wonder we don't let women testify in court. No wonder. <laughs> They're like, oh, look, you must have got the wrong tomb. Oh. And so here we go, John 20, 3 to 8. So Peter and the other disciple, John talking of himself, started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter. I love that. He, I was like, if Peter was alive when he wrote that, Peter would say, you had to write that in. You had to write that you outran me, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, hey, Peter's not around. I'm going to write this. Because it actually happened. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He, he bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips there of strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And I love this. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. So you got to understand that John had been with Jesus for three years. He'd seen the miracles. He'd seen the blind see, the deaf hear. He'd seen the lame get up and pick up their mat and go home. He'd seen Jesus calm a storm. He'd seen Jesus walk on water. He'd seen Jesus bring people back to life. He'd seen somebody been in the tomb for three days and Jesus still brings them back out. But the Bible tells us that John doesn't believe until on the resurrection, resurrection Sunday, he saw and he believed. He saw resurrected Jesus. So you got to understand this. They lost all hope. When Jesus died, the movement died. And the reason why they lost all hope is because Messiahs, Messiahs can't, can't be killed. The Christ can't be killed. Jesus on many occasions said that he was the Christ, the Messiah. They saw the Son of God die. The Son of God can't die. Jesus said he was the Son of God. The resurrection and the life can't be crucified. Jesus said that on a many, many occasions, and yet he was crucified. See, on Easter Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, there was no countdown at the tomb. There was no one outside going, 10, 9, Hey, there was no band ready, ready for Jesus to come out and goes, oh, he's alive. There was nothing like, there was no like party poppers going. There was nothing like, there was no one there because no one believed. When Jesus died, the movement died. He saw and he believed. You know what's crazy? These cowards, 
these guys who were afraid, Peter who denied him three times, stands before the crowd. He addresses the crowd. He's addressing people that are, that are, who are witness to the account, not 100 years later, but three weeks. They were there. They were the ones that said, crucify him. They were the ones. They saw him hanging on the cross. So he stands before the people. Peter, who was afraid. Peter, who was a coward. Peter, who denied Jesus three times. He stands there and he begins to proclaim in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Because this is what it means. This is what it means. When Jesus, well, this is what it means. when The resurrection means this. It means that Jesus paid the price for you on the cross. Your sins have been forgiven. Jesus wiped the slate clean. And the reason why we know this is because he rose again. He rose again. And I love this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and the rest of the disciples, they begin to preach. But those that were cowards, they're, they're not, they didn't start preaching because they saw Jesus die. They started preaching because they saw him alive. Because many people would die for someone who, who died for something they believed in. A lot of people have done that in the past where people have died martyrs. But something changed in this community who, who survived. And 2,000 years later, over a third of the world's population proclaiming the name of Jesus. And it doesn't make sense that the ecclesia, the movement, is still here except for what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And this is what it means for you. That those that you've lost in faith, you will see them again. That's right. <laughs> you will see them again. That mother that you that, that believed in Jesus, but she died even though you prayed for healing, you will see her again. What this means for you is that your sins of the past, all that you've done, when you come before Jesus, say, Lord, I'm giving you my sins. I'm laying it down. See, Jesus is the only one who can come and wipe the slate clean. It means that you're forgiven. Those that accept Jesus now are forgiven by Jesus then. Oh, your sins are forgiven now. Those that accept Jesus now, your sins are forgiven now. You're accepted by him then on, on the day we meet him face to face.